Happy 100th. 100th episode. It's a big achievement. It is. We started this journey, what, two and a half years ago? Three years ago now almost? And mm -hmm. it's three years ago. It's because the first part of this, I was having a lot of scotch, so I can't remember if it's two and a half or three years ago. But, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, no, 100's a big episode, and our producer's so got we, like a real so treat for us So we have a today. surprise, yeah, yeah. We're going to be watching... We're going to be surprised. Thanks, Max. We're going to be watching highlights of, uh, you know, the last episodes or, you know, the seasons I of think episodes. you've assembled 10 um, episodes, which had like some good dialogue and interesting moments, so shorts, and... and Max, our producer, is going to show them to us, and we're going to react and either be embarrassed or talk <laughs> talk a lot about it. <laughs> we'll so that's going to we'll be see. fun. Let's see. Yeah. We've had a lot of interesting things to talk about. Roll it. There was no way I could have f***ed up that cross-examination because right. I was just saying to her, you know, when you went to the police and you gave your statement, you told the officers that you left in a rush because you had to flee for your safety and you took some of your own documents and your clothing. Is that correct? Yes. Did you tell the officer anything you took that belonged to my client? And she goes, why would I do that? Well, do you remember taking anything from my client? He swapped keys with her because he needed a fob on her key. Well, it, he took it to go deliver food to her brother's house when he's sick he's doing her a favor and he swapped their keys so that he could do the favor easier mm -hmm. she goes you're so entitled in a She's message like, what the f what the f that is not your property or something like that you have no right to my property what gives you the right to think that everything belongs to yours that's not your property you have no right to this property you didn't even ask my permission of it how dare you do this and then you say well did that apply to the documents you stole from my client she just stepped into <laughs> everywhere she went i swear a lot eh <laughs> <laughs> that's what i mean that was a good one yeah, I know. And, you know, the nice How to is... catch a fabricated allegation and just keep going and going and going. And she just played right into it, too. And that was one of the great things in, in that case. Uh, the judge really got it because that, um, that attitude came across in the way she answered questions. And whenever you caught her with something that was really inconvenient for her, she just played stupid. Like, I, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> it, it, you know, that, that is one of the perfect episodes about one of our premier cases where we won you know we were able to establish their client through expert evidence had actually suffered complex trauma as a result of the abuse by his wife who was ex-wife who was the complainant but it's a perfect example of when i get on or you get on for when we say there are false allegations people make false allegations of sexual assault this was somebody who was going after money and was scorned and angry. All those myths they talk about. This was the perfect case that we had in the last year. Mm -hmm. It's also, just a poster, you know, child men, for that. Yeah, and that men can be the abused spouse, I think, is one of the most important things that yeah. came out of that case. And, you know, um, hopefully that'll sort of lay the groundwork for other people, you know, not being afraid to to tell their story because it is embarrassing for men to admit that they were being bullied in their own home. It, it, you know, you raise a good point because that we had to work very hard with this gentleman and send him for therapy. And when we sent him for therapy to help him work through his emotions, that's when we were able to get to what the trauma was and why and marshal that in court to his defense. But that goes to show that, you know, people who are charged suffer extreme emotional and psychological impact not just from the charge, but from what happened before with the person. Mm -hmm. And then you have to work really hard to try and get the person to talk about this, uh, this pain and see how this can play out in a case. And, you know, hopefully it is, you know, somewhat of a, a watershed for clients to, to be able to come forward and talk about it. 
I know, and you know, his the transformation in him from when we first met him and because of the therapy, it was it was just amazing because he couldn't defend himself. He was afraid to disagree with anything. He was completely spineless. Like, you know, he said, like, I, I said, I remember telling him, I, I'm afraid for you. If you get another relationship, yeah. you're not going to be able to have a healthy relationship. Yeah. And then, you know, he was calling almost every week at the beginning and then it was every month. And the first time that, you know, he called me after about three months, I went, I can tell you're better because I haven't heard from you for three months. And he's like, I am. And he, the change in him was just fantastic. And, you know, it leads to an important piece of advice we've just given a recent client, right. you know, who's going through a lot of anxiety and have finding it very hard to attend work and have a normal life. And we say, you got to try and push through it. You need to have normalcy in order to cope with the, the, the trial itself that's going to come up a year from now or a year and a half. You have to try and create some new normal and develop some way of coping. It's very hard for people. Keep healthy habits. But it also, another point that was made was that even though it's um, difficult because it takes so long to have your case go through the legal system, that that time can actually be a benefit because it gives people yeah. a chance to decompress and to, to sort through all of their emotional yeah, issues. Can you and imagine to if they have to go to trial within four months and they were in that debilitated condition, they wouldn't be able to testify. Yeah. All right, what's number nine? Every sex assault case I'm involved I, I with now, it so is an much. application by the Crown for the complainant to testify, whether they're 17, 27, 47, to testify by CCTV. That's across the board now, I'm getting met with applications. They're going to testify by closed circuit TV from another room in the courthouse, so I get to cross-examine a Samsung screen. <laughs> cross-examine a Samsung? Well, actually, the last time it happened, it was a Toshiba, and the resolution wasn't as good as the Samsung, so it was even worse. And we won. We won a recent case, uh, another one, where there was a CCTV application. We were successful in, in preventing it. It was an adult uh, witness. I mean, not terribly old, but, you know, early 20s. Um, and we have another one coming up now where we're going to oppose it, where we think we're going to win it for sure. So we're fighting back against this. It's not meant to um, be available just to make somebody comfortable, like they're sitting back in their living room or something like that, not feeling like they're part of the actual trial. It's meant to ensure that we can get the best testimony properly. And so that's really, I mean, the, the standards just fallen too low from that. It, it, was, it was designed to help with people who have particular issues or disabilities. So if, you're, if it's a young child, you can imagine how difficult it would be for them to be in a courtroom. You know, those who have particular identified mental health issues or trauma that can be established and therefore they can experience extreme anxiety or other symptoms by testifying. It's meant for those types of exceptional cases where you have to have a certain aid in place so you can try and get the best evidence you can from a complainant. But what's happened is they've watered it down so that it's just to be used automatically and i just can't forget when the when the judge um said to me on one of the cases that's coming up why are you opposing this because it's a adult your honor because they're they were managed to go to school get a degree go to work and they have many other issues in their lives but god forbid they should come in a courtroom to testify here's a question i want to ask so when people are watching this and they're going to send us uh, or they're going to make comments do you think that testifying through a CCTV process, through closed circuit TV, makes it easier for a complainant to lie? Absolutely. But Although in Zoom, we found it was, it, it really didn't work necessarily to their advantage, but we were all on the same playing field. Right, right, that's true. 
Um, but we also just recently saw somebody who's, you know, not just doing CCTV, but with a, a therapy dog, not once, and I was watching, not once did she touch, let alone hold that dog. <laughs> Which is shocking because it was damn cute. It like, was. I, I was a really adorable dog. I, I would have just patting it and everything, but paid zero, paid zero attention to the support worker, zero attention to the dog, mm -hmm. zoomed in on the screen. It was just absolutely belligerent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, the dog, uh, at least we got to enjoy it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, so these CCTV applications, now that we're back in court and we're doing trials and our preference is to be back there, it's it's certain cases we'll do by Zoom, where I think we still maintain the ability to cross-examine and win. Um, there is something about having the witness in front of you and having the immediacy and the ability to give a document to them or do, or do something. And I do think that when everybody else is in the courtroom and somehow the complainant knows they're the only one testifying, by CCTV, I think it does give more leniency to their ability to embellish yeah. or lie. Yeah, agreed. All right. On What's to my number, next rant? Number eight. Do you have one where in I the don't United swear? States cameras are allowed in the courtrooms? Right. Now, one state is extremely restrictive about cameras in the courtroom to the point that cameras generally are not allowed unless an exceptional circumstance is allowed by a judge. What state is that? Raise your hand if you know. I do not know. New York. Really? I don't know. New York State. That. They're very regressive in New York, according to US media, about allowing cameras into the courtroom. I gotta I gotta say those little um images that pop up and stuff. Whoa. That's Max is doing. I know, but it's great. there's like a little mouse or something waving. I'm like <laughs> Raise your hand, the two guys. <laughs> raise, Max raise does a hand. great job with that. Good question. Should we have TVs in the courtroom in Canada? Cameras. Cameras. Yeah. We do have TVs. That's right. Should we have cameras? Um, should it be should it be live, uh, you know, on court TV and 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 you know, segments uh, uh, can be played in the news. I think the value, from my perspective, the value of that is that um, without them, people just rely on reporting, which isn't always all that accurate. Because you know, when you read reports from what happened in a courtroom for the day, it depends on you know the you know, the particular perspective and the things that that reporter was paying attention to and they miss other things and they don't always understand, unfortunately, the, the legal language that's going on. So if people can watch it themselves, I think it gives them a much clearer idea, not just how the process took place, but why the verdict was reached the way it was. So, you know, I, I think there is a value for people, you know, who really take an interest in that kind of thing to, you know, become more familiar with it but I also think that there needs to be better explanations because judges can't defend themselves if their verdicts are, uh, if their decisions are criticized. Yeah. I think there needs to be a better explanation to, to increase public faith in the legal system. I, I you know, I, I prefer not to have cameras in the courtroom. I like the, the British system that we have where we don't do it. I don't think it will help to uh, lend transparency and for the public to become more aware because I don't think the public really wants to know. Courtrooms are open if somebody really wants to come. If if we had cameras in the courtroom, I doubt anybody would really watch a trial. I think they may watch something that appears on the news that could be manipulated by the media. And I think we have real problems with, you know, accurate reporting. Um, so I don't know. You know, I, I've, um, I struggled with this for a long time. I, I think I said in that episode and other episodes, I still think it's better for us to not have cameras. But I wish that we had... Um, more uh, forthright reporting of what happens in a courtroom. And I think one of the best examples, if you look at, you know, print media, which is almost dead now, 
Um, but, you know, these news outlets, they used to have dedicated crime reporters, you know, serious dedicated reporters, you know, like Christy Blatchford and, and, and others. And uh, there's a few left, you know, um, Mendel, she's left um, and she's very good. But it, it, you know, there's nobody really left to replace. I mean, you know, Sam Pisano's gone and there's no longer that role for the for the crime reporter beat to go into the courtrooms and really dissect the cases unless it's a a very high profile salacious type of case we just don't have that and so i think the interest in getting at an accurate view of what goes on in our court system is not there and it's a shame because i think our court system i've said this before is is quite good compared to other jurisdictions mm -hmm. and it's the best you can have i think it's never going to be perfect. Uh, it, it won't be perfect because this is an exercise in, you know, human behavior and thought and psychology and everything else. But um, I just don't think the interest is there. That's what disturbs me. I think the I think generally the interest is just to, you know, all over something just because it fits a particular narrative. And I don't think cameras will make a difference. Well, that's why I think, um, you know, the shows where people are getting arrested and stuff like that, they're really popular because people like watching other people get in trouble. They're not so much keen on seeing, you know, <laughs> a proper... Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's reality job. TV yeah. for them just to... I mean, sometimes it's interesting just to watch the interrogations from our perspective, right? Those can be quite fascinating. You know, yeah. the, you know but, but we're in the industry, you know? Um, I, I just, you know, I, I, I don't... I, I think we need a certain amount of of respect for our system, respect for those who are in the system and how it deals with people who are accused and that there's reality under, you know, there's a reality to it that, that there are people who are falsely accused, that there's reasons that people get acquitted. There's reasons that we have proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And I don't think cameras will matter. And I think we've seen, uh, you know, a growing disinterest in what the truth is in our system. Yeah. <laughs> Among other good, things, frankly. That's a good way. Truth is subjective. Well, that's depressing. All Number right. six. Or seven. Number seven. Here's the thing. If you're in front of a judge alone, which is more likely to happen in Canada, the judge knows what evidence they've excluded for whatever reasons they decide, but they've seen it. Whereas with a jury, and that's more likely to happen in the States, the if evidence is excluded prior to trial, the jury doesn't know what they don't know. They have no idea that they're not permitted not to think about something. They just have no idea that evidence exists. And that's important. Yeah. I know there's a, you know. That's really important. There are some instances where I've seen some reporting where they're saying, oh, if only the jury knew because people who attend, you know, reporters who attend and so on, they, uh, they're they aware of uh, these motions to exclude. After every trial that's high profile, mm -hmm. there's always the reporting, here's what the jury did not hear. It's always, always, like somehow that the jury was misled by not having this evidence that would have been highly prejudicial and the judge wanted to make sure that this was a clean trial. There's always that type of reporting. You know what I'm interested in? Because we spoke about it there, which was important. That there's, and, and you made a good point. The jury shouldn't know. The judge is there for legal um, purposes in order to make assessments and exclude evidence and deal with the legal issues. But, you know, <laughs> what happens when the jury makes their decision and then they go out back into the real world and they read some news about what they didn't know? Right. You know? I, I, I would love once to be able to interview a panel of jurors on a high-profile case where there was evidence that was excluded because it was prejudicial, and then they found out after they rendered a verdict. And I'm just curious how they feel about it and if they thought it would have changed their mind had they heard it. I mean, I would just love to know that. 
Which they, the jurors do talk about <clears throat> the deliberation process in the States they can, but in Canada they can't. Right. So uh, It's a but, crime here for, them, for us to yeah. ask them. But one of the important things is that <clears throat> you know, juries do not have to give reasons for their decision. Right. So when a judge gives reasons, even though they may have heard some, some stuff, they can then clarify what they did take into account and what they didn't take into account. Right. But it's important to, to vet that in front of a jury because it can influence them in an improper way and we'd never know because we don't get the reasons for how they weighed the evidence. That's, that's why certain evidence can be so incredibly prejudicial. You'll have no idea why or how a jury renders a verdict and how they use certain evidence and that can be very dangerous i'm but i'm just curious because it's it's like one of those scientific tests you want to know will the infection infect the verdict and i'm curious what you know once what that would be like it would be very interesting to run a mock sort of trial and 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 keep certain evidence back like we would in a normal trial have the jury go through deliberations, have them win, and then scientifically say, okay, here's what you didn't hear. Let's talk about it. I mean, I'd just be so curious to do that. Yeah, and then they wouldn't be violating any rules. Because no, because it's, it's, it's just a mock... It's imaginary just, case. It's an imaginary yeah. case. We're just doing a study. I just... I, 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 I don't know. I just, it would really interest <laughs> me. I'm curious. And then I might go, you know, that's why I like juries, or that's why maybe I should reconsider it, you know? Anyways. Right, yeah. All right, well, we're on to number... Let's see if number, we can find somebody to give to us money to do that. <laughs> we're on to number six now. Pause and just explain why it's so important when you're brought into the police station on an accusation to not give a statement. So first of all, the police don't have to actually tell you everything. Or they can lie to you. Or they can actually lie to you. When you're being told what you're accused of, you can't actually be sure if that's actually what you're accused of. Sometimes they don't even tell you who is accusing you. So they leave you guessing. So it's very important to not say anything until you're given full disclosure of what it is you're being asked to answer to. Don't answer those questions. Why? Because this is not a game of poker. You don't have to answer questions not knowing what you're facing. You can stop, don't answer any questions, wait till you have your lawyer and get all the evidence from the Crown and assess it and then speak to your lawyer and then you'll have the evidence <laughs> upon which you're going to make comment. Mm -hmm. So giving a statement to police at the front end in a serious case is absolute folly. I think this is more an episode about your creativity when you're putting these together. All those little <laughs> pop-ups, they're hilarious. <laughs> your lawyer. There's nothing more important than telling somebody who's about to be processed, charged, and processed by police, please don't give a statement. Please, please don't give a statement. I gotta say the way it starts, though. I love the way you always pause. Yes. Repeat. <laughs> because those, yeah, when you do that, they are important points and things that you really can't say enough. Um, but it, it's, it's a, you know, I can, I can tell you, I can count on one hand, where I vetted a client ahead of time where they were going to go in and I said, okay, tell them. Yeah. And it worked out to their advantage. Yeah. But that is like five or six out of, I don't know, three, four, five thousand cases, right? Yeah, I know. The majority of time, especially in a sexual assault case where generally you know the person's going to be charged no matter what they say, yeah. no matter what they disclose to the police, it is incredibly prejudicial for them to give a statement. Well, I loved your analogy too. It's like you're not playing poker, right? Where you where you're trying to make decisions about your hand without knowing what's in the other person's hand, and that's really the important thing. Is you just simply want to know what the case against you is before you offer any kind of statement or defense. What you have said, you can never take back. What you haven't said, you can always say. And in the rare circumstances, yes, we can exclude a statement if a client's rights to counsel were violated. But literally, or an interpreter, <laughs> or an interpreter, right? 
But, you know, recently we had a case where a client who was advised not to gave a three and a half hour statement. The police officer was bending over backwards going, like, are you sure? Because you spoke to your lawyer and your lawyer specifically told you not to answer our questions and give a statement. Yes, that's true. My lawyer told me that. Okay. And Do you still want to continue? Uh-huh. You still want to continue. <laughs> three and a half hours of a statement. And it's, you know, I can't tell you how devastating that is in many cases, you know. And then other people may look at it and go, well, uh, you know, that, that's just the truth then. You know, shouldn't the truth come out? But they end up talking about things that are completely irrelevant. That's right. And you can you twist. what the case is. And you can the twist innocuous are. things that they say and... And it just will make them look guilty even though they're not. Right. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Because people are not adept in explaining something that is now very emotional and traumatic to them when they're in the police interview room and trying to get it across in a very poised, you know, comprehensive, chronological way and answering and dialoguing with the police officer. That's not their expertise. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I know. That's, that was a good one to pick because I love emphasizing don't yeah. give a statement. What we normally say, shut the f*** up. <laughs> I think that's, that's one of those U.S. things. There's a video, these two guys. And they, what do you shut do? the f*** up. What do you do? You shut the f*** up. <laughs> All right. On number to five. number five. To be clear, if you have a video of the sex act that you're being accused of in terms of a sexual assault, if you had a video of that, you might not be allowed to use it because now they've changed it. It was immune if it's the actual subject matter of the charge. And what used to be immune from this type of scrutiny was evidence specifically related to the complaint. So that particular act that's alleged. So that's what we call the subject matter of the charge. For example, if there was a video for some reason of that particular act and the defense thought that that video showed that there was consent. Or simply it didn't occur in the way it was described. You didn't have to vet that because it's subject matter of the offense, but Supreme Court says we do. Okay, pause. (laughs) let's think about that for a moment because you know there was a podcast we were doing about a u.s lawsuit where a police officer was being asked questions and the officer said you know i i operate from a position of guilt the only thing that could maybe disprove it to me is if there was a video okay there's a case now where if you videotape a sexual act without the consent of your partner that the knowledge, yeah. With, with yeah. the knowledge and, I guess, consent, right? Because if they yeah. acknowledge it, they would have to agree to it. Right. You could be found guilty of sexual assault. Right, yeah, because it's yeah, qualitatively different. It wasn't even voyeurism. They actually called it a sexual assault. They did. Yeah. What's the name of that case? Because oh, you, you've taken me off guard. But it's a recent case where it was a much more notorious situation where the accused f***ing videotaped and then put it up on like social media. And well, that's yeah, and that's a different charge as well. That's the, the problem that we had with that case when it when we mentioned it wasn't that he was charged for having done so, but that he was charged specifically with sexual assault because that changes. That's right. What a, what a, an actual assault is because there yeah. there's offenses under the code of sharing, you know, without consent. Yeah, so so there are offenses where you you can be charged with sharing intimate images or videotaping and sharing it. You can get a significant sentence. Uh, there's also voyeurism. There's other charges, but this specific case resulted in a finding of sexual assault because he had videotaped the sexual act without the knowledge and consent of the party that he was having sex with. Therefore, it vitiated the consent, or I forgot what it was, but yeah, it changed the nature of it. 
But so just think about this for a second. You're accused of sexual assault. You videotaped it surreptitiously because you're paranoid <laughs> about having sex with people and being accused. Okay. So just so happens on this occasion, this person went to the police and said, just think about this. Um, that, that, you, that, that they were sexually assaulted. The, the, the client comes forward and goes to the police and says, I videotaped the whole thing. I, I, I just did. Why would you do that? Well, I, I'm nervous sometimes. Here's the videotape. And it shows enthusiastic consent, okay? Right. It, it completely contradicts the complainant's evidence. But you still get charged. But you charged. still get charge with sexual assault because you did it without their knowledge and consent and we before this case even we already said that uh, videotaping something just for your own protection can end up resulting in an extra charge so even if they don't call that videotape a sexual assault in itself or vitiating consent that you could be charged with voyeurism or something to have an extra charge laid on you just for the fact that that it was videotaped so it's it's fraught times i'll tell you <laughs> fraught <laughs> danger on every level and that was a, that was a that's an important point to revisit too. There is no there is no exclusion in that case if you simply had it as security footage for your own purposes. Right. Yeah. There wasn't. That case has to be. Boy, we're I'm gonna. Thanks it wasn't for bringing Supreme, that one up it because Supreme it just Court. it just brought out in my mind something else. It's like because I remember that episode we were talking about. Well, what if you have a videotape of it and it exonerates you? Well, now you can get f-ed over anyways. Yeah. It's like there's no way to protect yourself. Yeah. I, I f- it's scary times, scary times. All right, we're on okay, to- you know what? When we come back for a 101 episode, I want to pull that case down and see if there's any exceptions in there for that. Let's see so what we're going to come back with that. Yeah. That really bothers me Let's now. see what the reaction's been, if it's been cited. God, I need a scotch knife for this one. Okay. <laughs> on, to, on to number four in the countdown. Max, good selection so far. Mm-hmm. In the car, on the way to court, his mother's telling him what he should remember. And he's so innocent, he says, I didn't remember that memory until she reminded me of it. Because the memory never existed. I knew it never it was, happened. I knew the moment that I came out in examination in chief, I think the judge, the whole sick. courthouse heard me groan, it was implanted. So when cross-examining him, I said, your mother spoke to you. And it came out that the mother on the way to court for the first day of testimony had specifically instructed her son to give this evidence. The it was not in his statements to support the daughter's statement and her own. And he said, these were the memories that I did not know I had until my mother told me I had these memories. Understand what we just said. Okay, so you know what? There's a case that's driving me crazy, okay? Mm -hmm. We finished the case. We're waiting for judgment. That was a situation of a case where it was clear parental alienation. The husband had said, I wanted a divorce. Things weren't going quite the way that the complainant wanted. He gets charged with all sorts of shit, sexual assault, domestic violence, and then sexual assault and violence against the children. The children were clearly, clearly influenced by the mother. Clearly. The daughter was indoctrinated by the mother, and he was alienated from both children. Thank God for the son, you know, being, he was His young and innocent. Innocence. yeah. What was the other thing that he said that was so funny and everybody laughed in the courtroom was that he said his mom asked him if she would live with him forever. And he said, I don't know, because when I get older, I might want to do something else. Right. (laughs) Because the mother was was saying, the mother had specifically said, you know, I I don't know if I could ever live without you. Right. That was at the time of the separation to try and, you know, emotionally... Uh, um, bond the children, bond to, her, the children yeah. to her to man- emotionally manipulate them. But we had a case recently 
where where it's another parental alienation case where the daughter who's older and very intelligent has alleged sexual assault that's historical from the ages of about six, seven, and eight and onward. But you know what was interesting about that case? I can't say more, but the mother did not give a statement to police, was not a witness at trial. And claimed that she didn't even ask for details or want to know anything, so it was just up to the daughter. I don't know, and I have never had a case in my career where there was a sexual abuse of a child in the family and one or more family members were not interviewed, mm-hmm. including the mother, or if it would be the other case, the father, which it never is, but the mother. It, this is, I can't think of a case that I've had. It was all strategic. Yes. And that made it extremely difficult to get at the heart of the parental alienation mm-hmm. because there's just so much this, this mother knew there's this pile that we have where we can just cross-examine and show the influence and the parental alienation and ultimately the lies. And we couldn't get there because that person wasn't interviewed and they didn't testify. Also, and also in that case too, that like bothers the hell out of me because, because it's so easy for a judge just to gobble up an allegation with a child victim, allegedly a child victim, because they're vulnerable and all this other stuff that we can't do, uh, you know, presume about how children behave and how they recount evidence. And of course, if they get the frequency or the timing and all this other stuff wrong, even though it smells badly it can create such incredible wrongful convictions there were what i think were fairly important statements that were offered to a court um for the purpose of mediation that we couldn't end up accessing either because it was all covered by mediation privilege settlement privilege yeah settlement privilege so you know these were things that were and, and i just mention it because there are a lot of people going through family court who then have to face criminal allegations and they get so obsessed with everything being said in family court and they don't realize that it's a whole different ball game and that it doesn't really matter what's filed there it doesn't necessarily mean you can use it yeah i mean there's a lot that you can you know there's a lot of pleadings that are public you know that they're public documents you can use them there's transcripts of discovery you can use but there are certain things, depending upon what you engage upon, if it's arbitration and mediation, which is for the purpose of settlement, there's a privilege that attaches to that, so that won't get in. Um, and, and there may be certain other instances where you can't use a piece of evidence from the family court, but generally it provides a robust sort of um, area of evidence that you can use. But when people are highly manipulative in a parental alienation case, man, they can cut corners. And you know that's one case where we'll see, but I mean, I think... Those cases are just ripe, just ripe for wrongful convictions. Absolutely. A depressing note to go on to the yeah. next. But and here we are I, at number three. We'll probably revisit that later on in an episode. <laughs> so, Number three. If she was taking a shower, he was not allowed to knock to say, can I come in and use the toilet? It's one washroom. It's yeah. a small condo. She would get angry. She even admitted this under cross eventually. So he'd have to text her like she has her phone while taking a shower. So he often, in the messages, he said, okay, I can't reach you. You're in the shower. I'm going to go downstairs to the gym in our building and use the washroom there to go take a pee. Not kidding. Not kidding. Talk about course of control, eh? I know. And and that ties back to an earlier clip because it was the the same case of this spouse who was being abused by... But not the only one we've seen. The woman. No, I know. But that's, uh, I mean... The craziness of that, having to all actually go down, it was like quite a few floors too. He had to go yeah. all the way down to the uh, central gym area so that he could use the washroom because he couldn't use his own. 
And we, we saw some of those text messages too. Like, uh, how long are you going to be? You know, like he was so scared to even text. But but here's, you know, here's the core because we see the movement in Canada to create uh, criminal code offenses for coercive control. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's manipulation of money, um, you know, keeping track of where the person is going, any type of coercive activity. It flows both ways. Mm-hmm. And there's difficulty in trying to, uh, you know, really distill what evidence is appropriate or meaningful to prove that type of allegation. So I think it's going to be fraught with all sorts of evidentiary issues. Um, and and I, I think it's a real challenge. But it flows both ways. This yeah. is not the only case where we've read text messages and exchanges between parties where the male, who is the accused in the criminal case, was highly manipulated yeah. and, and coercively controlled. And like that section that we were talking about, there were text messages that relate to those communications, which if you were just reading them on their own, they didn't actually mean anything. I remember the, the pretrial application to use all these messages too. Individually, each message didn't really say anything. It was the collective right. of the entirety of it where you just see this ongoing, relentless um, control over him. And of course, his testimony, his testimony was required in order to explain what they were talking about when he was texting her about using the bathroom. So, you know, putting all these things together, that's the, the real art and skill of, of what we do. Yeah, you raise a really good point because I was just on the phone with an intake, I think it was yesterday, who was trying to explain to me he had terminated with his previous lawyer. It's a sex assault arising from a divorce and is trying to tell me you know, once you sit down and you talk to me about it, I don't think it's going to be a lot of work and you'll see it's pretty easy that I'm innocent. And I, I, I almost just hung up the phone. I, I almost just hung up the phone. I kind of, I lost my shit. I said, oh, are you kidding me? Like, we spent hours, like our, our eyeballs bleed reading through the messages, trying to understand them. You know, never mind when they have to be, tra- you know, translated and then, tra- like, it's just... It's a lot of work to weave together. I need new glasses. People's (laughs) lives, like, it spans years that they're together and messages that span months or years. And you have to put it all together. That's not f***ing easy. And in order to win, you have to spend the time doing exactly what you said. You can take five messages here, but that may mean nothing. Now, when you had 150 messages and you put it into order and coherence and get it in, you know, a proper way for cross-examination, then you can marshal that narrative along and it tells the true story. But that takes time. It's not easy. And these cases are complex. Yeah. And, and but for the work we did, you know, know. he could easily have been convicted. It's not just thousands of messages. Sometimes it's thousands of pages of messages on different platforms. And then to understand what they're talking, because sometimes people do have sort of their inner code. So, you know, it also has to be combined with meeting with the client and understanding what was happening in their life. And I, oh. Did you remember, we've, we've done charts before where we charted out for an entire year, every day, what was going on that day, because yeah, yeah. they, they messaged each other every day. Like, there's, there's, it's just an insane amount and, of and work. The, and, and the other thing is educating the judiciary, because, I, you know, it just we just had an application where the judge said to me, well, well, that's a code word for a certain sexual act. I said, yes. Well, what if the, the complainant doesn't agree to it, then, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. I go... I'm sorry, he doesn't get to testify? Right. <laughs> what, what, his evidence doesn't... Literally, I faced this. He gets to testify. I'm not just bringing this application to ask her the f-ing question and to have her say, yes, that meant oral sex. Mm-hmm. He gets to f-ing testify. It's relevant to his evidence. It's what are you telling me? If she says no, he doesn't get to say it? Right. We are living in f-ed up times with some of this stuff. I got to tell you, you know, I, I always say that judges, by and large, 
are getting it, but our applications are like 40, 50, 60 pages long to get these messages in and to ask and to be allowed to ask these questions. And every so often you face these arguments back like they're in this tunnel where it's like unless the complainant agrees or says so, you can't ask more than that. And, and it's only how is that relevant to whether she consented on this day? No, that's not the only issue. Well, we normally hear the phrasing is there's no air of reality to that argument because the complainant says something different. And it was like, well, there's an air of reality to testimony coming from any witness. <laughs> but how far they try and drive, you know, we keep seeing it repeatedly with these replies now. It, it just doesn't stop to some extent where it's, if this is like a contradiction about the characterization of their relationship, how is that relevant to whether she consented on that particular night? Mm -hmm. And it's like, Dude, credibility is at issue. Credibility is central to this case. If somebody mischaracterizes a relationship, that means they may lie about consent. Sometimes you have to basically almost slap the, the person sitting on the bench to go, read the case law. I know, I know. All right, we're getting there. Yeah, oh, I'm good. I'm, I'm starting to really enjoy this 100 episode. <laughs> Keep going. We're on to top number two. I'm gonna fight you on this, Joseph. What I'm saying yeah. is legitimate. You have to own your own decisions. And I actually spoke to a woman who wanted to do the whole Me Too thing. Why and then she realized I was a groupie. I chose to do that. And she didn't make an accusation because she realized she was compelled to join the movement. Well, great for her. And then she her. owned her own decisions. Rock on. And I, great for her. But what women, I'm talking about is... If women is, are feminists, boy, they own arguing, their own decisions. Eh? That's what, that's I, what that's a real what I feminist say. is. We were going at it there, eh? I know. It reminds me of when we're sometimes drafting out an argument or a cross-examination. Oh, are, are you f kidding me? You think I'm going to ask that question? I wish we could record those. Those are <laughs> hilarious. But, yeah, I mean, I've made that point a few different times. I think it was just like, I didn't want to be interrupted because I kind of had this flow to how yeah, I wanted yeah. to express it, right? But, but no, no, that, that was funny. And we do have some really hilarious but you know uh, what disputes. But, yeah, yeah, but you know what that... that so, like, when you're drafting out, when you're trying to draft out questions, right, for a cross-examination, it's a creative process mm -hmm. where you have to play through different scenarios, see how it fits with the narrative. And it is basically, and it is helpful to have a battle of opinions on it mm -hmm. so that you can arrive at, ah, you know what, maybe that doesn't make sense, or this really does make sense, or here's a better way of doing it. It comes out of a real debate, almost from question to question, evidence piece to evidence piece. And that, that's a perfect example. I, I think the heart of the point that I was making there, too, is that like we do have to take into account how the prosecutor is going to try and take the evidence and present it in, in its yeah. closing submissions. And to do that really well, you need to understand what the feminist arguments are right. and what they say are, are myths and, and so on. And, you know, ultimately that point, too, is just yeah. like, how is this empowering to women to say that they can't be held accountable for their own decisions? And, you know, it's a point I'll make over and over and over again, because we were on a path to making women independent and making them strong people uh, as individuals. And then now we just seem to have gone completely backwards where they just, you know, they're helpless little jellyfish who need to be rescued all the time. You're right. There's no agency. I mean, you, you've actually seen... You taught me that word, right? <laughs> and I've used it in a lot of cross-examinations where I, I literally said, where's your agency in all this? Mm -hmm. And I get this blank stare at me. What do you mean? It's not my responsibility. It's all his. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's true. It's robbing many women, complainants, yeah. of any type of responsibility or agency 
for their own behavior. And what's so surprising is that some of the younger complainants who come out of this university indoctrination, and I could go on about that in other aspects, but I won't, um, they actually come to believe this bullshit, right? And that's just mm -hmm. the way of life for them. That if I drink, it's that guy's responsibility to make sure that I have consent, or if I'm drinking, um, he can't have sex with me. Um, well, they're miseducated his, about what what that means in terms of intoxication. It's miseducated, yeah. and it's indoctrinated now into a particular ethos about how uh, how sex is supposed to occur. Right. That that's just that's just the mantra that we're going through now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm hoping that uh, people get fed up with that and start um, taking more pride. That's what it is. Take pride in your in your life and in well, your. I think it. I think the pride is where people, where where things are confusing to somebody who's been in a situation. They may not come forward and call it a sex assault because they're like, well, maybe you know, maybe there was consent. I I did. It's so helpless to look at world the world that way to be like if you if you have no ability to control and make decisions for yourself and 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 um, and, and so on, then how can you make your life better? Because apparently you have no ability to participate in your own life like it's i just can't imagine being that helpless so hopefully hopefully people decide that they want to be proud of themselves and learn to love who they are and and, and we have blaming keep, other people for and, their misfortunes and we have to keep pushing the idea that there has to be agency in 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 a trial they have to fess up to it and 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 the courts have to recognize that here we are right number one what's number one what do we next? have in store for us Somebody can come 10 years later and accuse you of something. 10. We have a 20, case 21 20 years. years. We're going to try. The poor guy you know, is like, the guy's in tears going like, I dated her for like five, six months. We had a bad breakup. Now I'm charged. I think we should have a statute of limitations on Canada. It's ridiculous. Hey, all our American viewers, you have statute of limitations per your states. We don't. We just got retained on a case from 1983. A hockey player, former hockey player. Um... Nothing of extreme notoriety, you know, but former hockey player, 1983. It's just unbelievable. It's so unfair to expect people to be able to, if, if, the, person, if the person's going to account for what is like, no, I recall, then, then all of a sudden they're going to look like they're not believable because how the hell do you recall? You know, <laughs> well, what do you do? You know, it was like the Nygaard situation, right? Where he's testifying to say, you know, some of them go back decades and is like, I wouldn't have done that. I, I don't I don't think I would have done that, but I don't particularly remember this person. Like, just think about that for a second. 41 years ago. And you have to go to court. What the f*** do you do? If you're saying, oh, I remember exactly what happened. Yes, no, uh, we, uh, we met at the bar. Uh, we'd been dating for about three months. And I remember that particular night that we had a couple of beers together. Then we decided to go to a friend's house and we went back to my house and and we talked, and that's when uh, we started kissing each other, and and we watched a porno together, and this is what happened. Uh -huh. And then and then they'll get cross-examined, like how the f I, I'm not describing, you know, what we do during the weekends, but um, just kidding, just kidding. But like, Why is you know, turning red? <laughs> no, no, she's but uh, but you know, you like, no, but but then you'll get crucified for why would you ever f remember that? Yeah, well, I mean, it gets crazy. There's 80-year-olds who are charged. And your charged. answer has to be because I've never dated since then. There's 80-year-olds charged with things from the 1970s. There's some guy in the UK who's like, it was in the paper because he turned 100 years old and then somebody decided that it was, this was the time to report. He tried to make a case that he wasn't, you know, in a state that he could testify. And uh, and they said, no, you, you go you ahead, 100-year-old. I, I, I get why, you know, 
maybe even 10, 15 years ago, things were different. We denied, you know, what was truly abuse. We didn't view things the same, but, but we have evolved significantly over the last two decades mm -hmm. where if I, I think where we've come to the point that if something goes back four decades, it's very, very, very hard to defend. It's highly prejudicial. There will be this natural instinct to believe the complainant. They can say in the media and other areas that, you know, the Crown has a very significant burden in proving historical allegations. That's not traditionally uh, something that they're successful with. And I'm like, what the f*** are you exactly talking about? exactly how they talked. I know. <laughs> Hi, I'm a... And, uh, you know, like, I, I don't believe that. You know, I think that when we get certain historical allegations, unless there's these insane inconsistencies, I mean, you can get a statement on a historical allegation that's literally 30 pages long. It's got nothing in it. I know. I, I just, I remember waking up and he was on top of me and I had been drunk and, you know, he forced himself on me and he told me not to say anything. And, and then I, you know, I didn't see him again for 30 years and I ran into him at a, at a bar and I remembered what he did to me. I'd never forgotten it, but now I just, I have the ability to come forward and talk about it. Or things, that's, that's the evidence. Yeah. Or things are so generic too, just like, oh, I'm not exactly sure how old I was, but I remember I was really young and I know it was always the same and it happened a lot. <laughs> how do you, you, you know, it's not a joke. These are incredibly hard to defend against. And then, and then you will be met with a submission from a Crown attorney where they'll say, well, he got up in the stand, all he did was deny it. Mm -hmm. What else are you supposed to do? And it, you know, I once I actually went off my 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 rocker, going, well, "What the f is he supposed to say? Mm -hmm. It's thirty years ago." I know. And if and like like we said at the beginning, he can't do a play by play commentary. If if he was to do it, he'd never be believed because nobody would believe that his memory could be as accurate. And we've seen that even with allegations that aren't that far in the past, where they said, "Well, how do you remember it so well? If the date wasn't really a big deal for you, how do you remember it?" Yeah. <laughs> Well, let me tell you, as soon as I got charged, I turned my mind to it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Or, you know, every date to me has always been significant. Yeah. Every partner I've been with has always had a special place in my heart. Mm -hmm. This one, too, now, since they accused me of sexual assault. Yeah, I know. It's a tough business. It's a tough business that we're in. But what's the other thing that they have in the States other than the statute of limitations? And I've mentioned this a few times, too. If you get acquitted, that's it. You're done. You don't ever that's have to go back point. to trial again. And that's one thing that I, I just can't believe. I, I always... Uh, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot. And if they want to retain the right to overturn acquittals for whatever reason, that the state should have to pay for the retrial. And they should have to pay for the... Because once you get acquitted, it's not, it's not fair to have somebody go through the stress, succeed at trial, then have to pay to defend the, the trial verdict, and then have to pay for a retrial again if it gets overturned. I think if th it would deter the state from appealing acquittals as often as they do if the state had to pay for it. I don't know if that would be it, but I, it, it's interesting that we do have that here. It's much more narrow grounds for appeal when it is an acquittal. Yeah, yeah, it is narrow. You know, so, so it's much more narrow oh. grounds for the Crown to, to bring an appeal, but we do have it. So point well taken. Except for when they say there's some sort of a, a rape myth at play, in which case they just go, oh, could have been. New trial. Right. <laughs> That's yep. the only time that they kind of, because it's considered a technical error, and so they can, they can categorize a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Unfortunately, more and more they can put under that. But anyway, so. I think we have a cake. We Marcy, do. Did you get we us do. a cake? Can we all have cake together? Yeah. Can we keep a... filming and have cake together? <laughs> that was, that was a, a good um, sort of run through the past. And it's funny because I remember with my YouTube channel, 
putting a compilation together and I just it feels like a, watching the history of Diana's hair. This one it was pretty consistent. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty of mine too. My hair, I, I had some bad haircuts. I gotta tell you, like, I gotta, I gotta get a little bit more quaffed in there. No wonder you're constantly fixing it. But you know, before we get to the cake, I just want to thank all our viewers. Yeah. Um, thank our, our, you know, awesome our producers. Here, our awesome producers for you know bearing with us and working on this very interesting project. Um, it's very important to us. We've got a lot of loyal followers who, you know, when we have it drop and people say hi, Phil says hi from, I forget if he's from Auckland or New Zealand or wherever, but, you know, I'll, I'll remember when I look at it. But it's so nice to see that people come back and make the comments and they're interested and they're engaged and there's really great questions that come in. And so I'm very thankful to everybody who views it. I'm very thankful to our team. You guys are wonderful. I'm proud of what we've done here. I'm so proud. In fact, I wore a tux jacket with tails. I, I was asking. I was asking to take our order earlier. Ah. <laughs> cake time. It is cake time. Absolutely. So thanks to everybody. Don't forget to uh, you show like, the cake to the camera. Comment, subscribe, share. Yeah, let's show it to the camera. And uh, don't drop it. I'm not. It looks yummy. Is there chocolate inside? There's no chocolate. Wow, that's unusual. <laughs> I've been on a diet for two years. I've only gained weight. Okay. Thank you, everybody. See you soon. A like, share. Oh, yeah, the pillow. Yeah, I did the that. The pillow. The burry pillow. The burry Subscribe, pillow. Subscribe, share. Feel better, burry. And leave comments. We do read them. Good night and Happy New Year, everybody.